0: pull up a chair, make yourselves comfy, and let's talk guitars. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. I'm Cam's your host, and today I'm bringing you an interview that I recorded with guitar player Richard Knott. Richard and I have known each other for a while and I got a chance to sit down with them at the annual gathering of the Acoustic Soundboard UK Guitar Forum in Halifax. Every year the Guitar Forum meets. used to be in Hebden Bridge, and then it moved to Halifax, and in 2019 it was the 10th anniversary gathering. And so it seemed like a good time to sit down and have a great conversation with my old pal Richard. So sit back, and enjoy the conversation. Hello Richard.
1: Richard Knox. Hey,
0: my old friend from days going back to yeah. RMMGA. I Buxton. think
1: so, quite one time we've known each other one way or another.
0: Yeah, it? yeah, 2005 I think was my first RMMGA gathering. Yeah, yeah. If, well definitely
1: mid, middle of that decade. I can't yeah. remember the exact years they're all... Yeah, they all, all, all merge... Absolutely,
0: yeah. But acoustic guitar once again has brought us together for another weekend of music. Indeed,
1: sir. Friendship,
0: yeah. It's been good. It has. I enjoyed it. it. I loved your playing last night. Thank you. I always enjoy your playing. And if anyone listening to this should most definitely buy your CDs because they are (laughs) superb. Thank you. Richard Nought, ladies and gentlemen.
1: So, yeah, you're a a Sunburst fan. I love Sunburst guitars. I, I just... I can't exp- well. I can't explain why it's because I think when the Beatles first emerged, uh, they were playing Sunburst Gibson J one hundred and sixty Es when I saw them, and I, I just thought that's amazing. I want one, and I assumed that was the guitar. Other color guitars were. <laughs> so when I first saw a natural top guitar, I thought it'd been painted yellow or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's just something about that Sunburst finish. And the, the irony is, of course, that I think sunbursts were first. Developed to hide imperfections in the wood, or to use less yes. lesser quality wood. Yeah. Um, but I just, I don't know. What can I say? It's personal taste. I, I know. It.
0: I I actually swung. I at first <laughs> did not like them at all. Right. And I've come round completely. 180 Pivot. Yeah. So my last my last purchase. No, it wasn't my pre-last purchase. Oh, you A custom-made yeah. sunburst. Yeah, beautiful. And as sunburst go, Kims are, are up there that's very nice yeah, and done. it's
1: quite a skilled job I
0: was talking with Rosie and Carl
1: yeah and they were looking at
0: the sunbursts uh, that are here this weekend and talking about are they
1: thinking of doing some
0: yeah they are
1: great right. well that'll be another maker I'll have to get into there
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you bring with you this weekend I
1: brought um, a Martin 0018 Golden Era uh, which is a, a guitar they no longer make it's, it's uh, Adirondack Spruce and Mahogany Based on, I think it's based on the specs from 1937, or maybe that's the Sunburst um, pattern. But its it, full name is 0018 Golden Era 1937. Right. So it's it's meant to be uh, a sort of recreation of a vintage style guitar, and um, it's the third Martin guitar of that body shape that I own because I love the neck they put on those. It's got a modified V neck, which yeah. it's quite a chunky neck. A lot of people don't care for it, but for me, it's it's perfect. But that guitar is, of the three I bought, I bought them all used. It's the one that's least played in. And you probably know Adirondack Tops supposedly take longer to play in than Sitka Spruce Tops. And uh, it's not quite come out of itself yet. So I thought I'd bring it and let people play it. And it all helps the process of the guitar opening up then. Uh, but it it, it looks great it feels great under the fingers It just needs a bit of work to get the sound out and I brought a couple of nylon string guitars because I was wanting one of the great things as you know about gatherings like this is everyone plays your guitars and they tell you what they think and they give you honest opinions and I have two nylon string guitars but I only really want to keep one and one's a relatively cheap one one's a more expensive one and um, I bought the expensive one intending to sell the cheap one and then decided I liked it but I don't want to keep two so I wanted people to play them and tell me what they thought and as a result I have decided which one I'm going to I'm going to move on so
0: which one? the cheap one (laughs) is that the Lag? the Lag yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah. the other one's a BSG made in the Czech Republic right they're both they're both nylon string guitars made for steel string guitar players so they have narrower necks and and they just have a similar feel to a steel string guitar Um, but that, that Lag although it's an inexpensive guitar it Plays beautifully, it's got a great pickup system in it, and I've recorded with it. Um, so, I was it, you're reluctant really to say goodbye to it, but you know, you can only have I shouldn't say <laughs> this on film, <laughs> should I? You can only have so many, you know. Yeah, tell that to Chris, but well, true. But <laughs> I, as you, I find that I don't know, about you as I get older, I, I there's a lot to be said for simplifying your life, and I've, been, agree, through, yeah. I've been through so many guitars over the years, and uh. The great thing about buying good quality guitars is you, you don't really lose money if you're careful. You can buy I bought some that you know, I bought for less than they were worth and I could sell for what they're now worth. And so even if you factor in inflation, I've not lost money on them. The last the last car I sold had depreciated in value more than the entire value of my guitar collection. Yeah. So are people I don't know, it's all relative, isn't it? But people say, Oh, you'd spend two thousand pounds on a guitar. Well, Yes, because it means a huge amount to me. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, it performs its function beautifully. And, you know, it gives you so much joy, as you know. Why wouldn't you, if necessary, scrimp and save to buy something that is a companion for your life? That's the way I feel about it. I've been playing guitar since I was 15, but I, I first wanted it because I was about seven or eight. And I got one. Uh, and just learned to pluck out the theme from Doctor Who on it, you know? <laughs> uh, but I, I took it up seriously when I was 15, and it's, it's been with me longer than just about anything in my life, you know? Uh, it's... It, f- for people who, who don't play guitar, maybe they don't get this, but it, 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 a friend of mine in Germany made a, a, a CD, and he called it Lifetime Companions, and it was actually about the songs that he was playing, songs that he'd loved all his life, but I said to him... It, You know, it could just as easily be about about the guitars. Because that's what they are. Yeah. They're they're things that... I mean, they help you through bad times. Um, They help you express yourself and be creative. What's not to like? I love them. I mean, and funnily enough, I've never really fallen in love with electric guitars. I can admire them, you know. And uh, I like the sound of them. But they don't do it for me like an acoustic guitar does.
0: Chris said the same thing. And I'm actually... Looking now at getting an electric for the first time. I thought you had a a Gretsch. No, that fell through. Ah, right. And I'm still thinking about getting one when it comes to stock.
1: Those are the style of guitars that I do like. I've got a a Guild uh, semi-acoustic with a Bigsby tremolo which Mm -hmm. is nice but it's it's a big heavy guitar and uh, I recently played an Eastman which is a far eastern brand. They're made in China but in a very small workshop that makes violins and, and stuff and that, that felt like an acoustic guitar to play. And that's, that's the style of electric I like. I have had telecasters and stuff, but I can't play like a lead guitar player. I play finger picking yeah. uh, acoustic or finger picking electric if necessary. And when I made the CD, the last CD, I did play some electric guitar on that, but I was really playing acoustic style. Yeah, I wasn't playing lead guitar lines. I was, I was playing fills or rhythmic parts or just little uh, accents to emphasize bits of music. That was one of the things I really liked about making that CD, was the, doing the arrangements. Because all of my songs are written on the guitar and I just normally play them acoustic guitar, very mm,
0: yeah. Did you arrange them yourself? Yeah, did you did, your yeah, them? yeah. Well,
1: I had some contributing musicians who, generally speaking, arranged their own contribution. Uh, with a bit of guidance from me because I, I knew what I wanted to hear I didn't want to sort of I can't write it down for them but I, w- I knew the sort of sound I was after so I could explain this to them or I could, I could try to play it um, on the guitar or on piano or something but uh, I wanted them to bring what they wanted to bring to it too mm. uh, but I did on a lot of the tracks I did um, like a second guitar, bass, percussion I even played harmonica on one track which is Weird, because I don't play harmonica. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I did, the, I did the sort of basic arrangements, and they did the twiddly arrangement where they wanted to. But that, that was part of the great fun of it, really. I, to, to, to write a song and then think, how can I present this song in the best way it can possibly come across? You know, mm. what would help it? And the only downside then is, gosh, you play live, and you can only play them with the guitar then. You, yeah. There's one song I do, and, and um, a, a, a friend who's... Uh, in Seattle called Grant Dermody, a great harmonica player, played on this track. And when I was recording the basic track, of course, I had to leave space for him to play solo. And now when I play it live, I have to be careful not to leave that space because he's not there. <laughs> and I can't, I I'm not going to play harmonica on that track for sure. Um, so it, it gives you some different challenges, but it, it, I really loved the, that arranging side. It was mm. really interesting because you know you've got to dress them up a little bit put them in their sort of best sunday clothes but not go over the top i didn't want you know the pipes and drums and yeah. <laughs> string sections and stuff i just most of them it's just one instrument yeah either electric guitar or mandolin piano harmonica stuff like that and the rest of the stuff i played
0: <laughs> yeah for me um, i played in two bands yeah up until a couple of years ago when they both split up at the same time, and I yeah, went solo. to do with you, I <coughs> hope. No, it was a it was a husband and wife team ah. in the band, in both bands, mm-hmm. and they they separated. So ah. collateral damage. But then I went back to playing solo again. Yeah, and I bought a loop pedal.
1: Yeah, I've seen some of your videos. And that, that would terrify me. It's yeah. What if you press the wrong button at the wrong
0: time, I'd that say. happens. <laughs> and part of learning how to perform with it is how to fix things on the fly yeah. you know it does happen you get the timing wrong. wrong so you've got yeah. to stop it again but keep it's part of the act but it's, it's allowed me to play things that wouldn't work solo but I, I tell you what one of
1: the things that strikes me about performing you're never satisfied are you with your own performance no and I think you I, you have to get over that nerve thing for a start you know and get to the point where you can deal with The performance side you're not just playing a song or singing a song or playing an instrumental you are performing it whether you like it or not from the audience's point of view you're an entertainer yeah and i find that a really weird concept i didn't start playing the guitar in order to become an entertainer but it's an inevitable thing you have to do when you perform i think and um and so you have a picture in your mind of what the ideal performance looks like and in it, you, you know, you are personable, you're not nervous, you don't fluff anything, your guitar's in tune, um, you remember all your lyrics. Uh, it's 100% there. And so you do a performance and maybe it's 90% there. And you just can't think of anything with the 10% that wasn't right. Yeah. But the audience hear the 90% and then they fill the gaps in,
0: Yeah.
1: I think. They hear 100% because they're on your side. And you've really got to get your head around the fact that if the audience say they enjoy it, then it was good. Yeah. It's not for me to say. If someone says that was really good, I'm, I can't say to them, yeah, but I made so many mistakes. Yeah. They don't care. They mean it. You've got to trust the audience yeah. to mean what they say. And that, that took me a long time to get my head around that. And even now, like you said, talk about me playing last night. I think I did five songs. And I was thinking about it this morning. Three of them were fine, more or less spot on. Um, one, I made one mistake. The other one... I blew it right at the start but of course here it's a sympathetic audience so nobody really cares you know yeah. it's one of those um, one of those things again you just have to figure out what your audience is what they like, what they want um, why are they there well here you're surrounded by guitar players who just love hearing other guitar players so that's easy if you're playing in a noisy pub and you're playing original songs that they've never heard before you've got to be prepared to become background music Mm-hmm. Because most people are talking, you know. Um, I do a gig near where I live. Uh, and they've just changed the setup. It's a tiny pub, a micro pub. And um, it used to be a shop, actually. So it's one of these little places that it's not a traditional pub. And the main room is at, at ground level. And there's another room downstairs uh, where they have an open fire and so on. And when I've played it before, I've played upstairs. And people who don't want to hear music, I guess, go downstairs. Now they've switched it around and they've got a really good PA system and you play downstairs but the music is heard all through the, through okay. the place. So people who want to come and sit and listen and watch come downstairs and you've got a nice little audience. It only holds maybe a dozen people, this room. But the music is background music for the people upstairs. And so people then come down and they've heard it and they're oh, I'd like to hear a bit more of that. Um, and that's a really a nice setup for a pub gig, particularly because I've played pub gigs where <laughs> there's just nobody listening; they don't care, you know. <laughs> Unless you play covers, and I don't do very many covers, and the covers I do are things no one's ever heard of anyway from the 1930s. But um, you know, it's challenging playing pub. Well, you, I, you know yourself, yeah, doing it. Yeah. Challenging playing pub gigs. Um, the gigs I really, really like doing are support gigs when you get a, a support slot for, a, you know, a, um, a touring artist, and people have paid to see them. But because of the type of music that we're talking about, they're receptive to the support act. They're not people who go to the bar. Now, when I started going to gigs when I was younger, if you didn't like the idea of the support act, you'd just go in the bar and it'd be virtually empty. But these sort of gigs, people listen to the support act. So um, I- I've done support gigs of one sort or another for people like Woody Mann, Jeff Muldow, Tony McManus. Uh, two weeks, In two weeks' time, I was supporting Mark Harrison, who's a great... Uh, British blues, uh, quite idiosyncratic blues writer and singer, and that I love that because they've come to see him, but they'll give me a chance as well, you know. And then after I've played, I get to watch this gig. So yeah. it's the perfect thing, and that's a lot easier. A lot easier. I mean, it's more pressure in a way because people have paid to come in, but it's it's easier to do a good performance there than it is when you're running your own sound in a pub. Oh, well, you're gonna you, have and there's game. a lot of talking yeah. and phones are going. on, You know. Uh, you just have to learn to kind of, I think, blot it out a bit if you can. And sometimes just play for your own benefit. Treat it almost as a, you know, a practice session. Or or catch the eye of someone in the audience who might be listening or in the pub and play for them. Yeah. You know, I tend to watch for people's feet. If their feet are tapping, I think, well, they're listening to some degree, even if subconsciously. So as long as I see the foot tapping, I know I'm, I'm doing something that's okay. You know? mm. And while well, I play, as you, as you know, is very... It's rhythmically based. It's dance music, you know, originally. Country blues, ragtimey stuff, it goes back to stuff like the Charleston. So you want you want that rhythm to be fundamental to it. Um, but, yeah, playing like... I mean, I didn't start playing in front of people until I was quite old. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it for about, I think, for now, uh, probably about 13, 14 years now, on and off. Um, And I think if I'd done it when I was 17, I'd probably have had a lot more confidence. Because you have to go through a sort of pain barrier (laughs) of getting over yourself, basically. And once you get there, it becomes something you look forward to and you enjoy. But I, I remember that feeling, I'm sure you do too, of just your hands shake. And However well you can play at home in your bedroom, it doesn't mean you can do it in front of people, especially if you're amplified. Because hearing yourself amplified is a whole different ballgame, yeah. don't you think?
0: Oh god, absolutely. You know,
1: apart from the fact it can sound really weird, yeah. you're conscious that everything you do is, is going out to everybody and they're hearing all of it. But then you think, well, if people are out to have a good time, as long as they have a good time, they don't have to hear every nuance of the guitar playing or every single line of the lyric, do they? You know, they enjoy themselves in their own way. That's my philosophy anyway
0: Yeah, Everything you've said there I agree with 100% I think we've been playing live about the same length of time And for me And I play small restaurants Usually on the Isle of Arran I've played bigger venues with support acts as well But it's the small restaurants is my main kind of bread and butter And For me the sound is the biggest thing Mm. If the sound is good Which I'm in control of So Mm. it's a constant buying and selling and tweaking and changing pickups and all that, but I'm kind of getting there now, and if the sound is good and I can hear myself then I play well.
1: You hit the nail on the head there because when I first played Amplified I don't think people understand this if they've never done it they assume you can just hear the guitar and you can hear your own voice, you can't No, and you certainly can't hear it accurately or loudly Mm. loud enough so, you know monitor sound if you use monitors, is, is just everything. Yeah. If you can't get a good s- sound on stage, then you can't give a good performance. Mm. And I, I mean, I've played some gigs where I literally couldn't hear anything. And Oh, well, me too. That's just weird. I played you know, you're playing the guitar and you're just hoping yeah. your fingers are doing the right thing because you literally can't hear it.
0: I did a dance set when we played with a, a wedding band and at the end of the set, I saw that I put my capo in the wrong fret for the whole set. <laughs> Wow.
1: Wow. I, I remember did a gig with uh, um, uh, there's a duo called the Hewers who I, um, Ian and Phil and Ian helped me make my CD and um, they're a folky duo as opposed to my bluesy side of stuff but we played stuff together and, and they've accompanied me they're both great musicians and we did a gig um, <laughs> where they, we'd practiced a song one of my songs they were going to play with me and there was some issue with the sound just before we started it, so we got that sorted out, then we started playing the tune. And on this case, in this case, I could hear the guitar, I could hear my own guitar. But about two thirds of the way through the tune, I realised I'd not, I'd not actually pressed the mute pedal, <laughs> and I, no one else could hear it. I could hear it, but nobody else could. And I've I, done there's, that. Too. There's a video of it, and I think, suddenly this guitar booms out in the middle of it. <laughs> oh man, this is, I mean, oh, I, th- I think of it all as being just, it's part of, what I suppose people would say paying you dues in a way uh, it's good if you can do it when you're younger and, um, yeah. and you've got that experience but that's the other thing though. you see people like we had Steve Tilston here yesterday who, who said he's been doing this for f- 50 years yeah. I mean I, <laughs> you get through your, your really worst mistakes hopefully in the early years of that and from that point on you're just building your experience and you're becoming more polished and more seasoned and if you're doing tours this is something that always strikes me too if I have a gig I don't do that much gig uh, gigging, but I tend to spend the day before or the day of the gig just running through the stuff, writing a set list, playing stuff through. If you're touring, every night is a rehearsal for the next night, mm-hmm. you know, and it will get better and better and better as you go. Whereas if you don't do a gig for a month, you've got to get back into that whole yeah, yeah. way of thinking. Um, But, I mean, these are things you don't think... When you don't do it, I'd never thought about stuff like this until I started doing it, and the experience is what teaches you. And uh, you tend, I think, if you perform, you're always comparing yourself to the people that you like, and usually unfavorably. (laughs) And then you have to remind yourself they've been doing it, you know, 40, 50 years or whatever, and they are the, the best in the world at what they do. So, you know, why should you compare yourself to someone like... That yeah. and be so hard on yourself—it's crazy. The main thing is to enjoy it. I think. Well, you spoke about the ninety and ten percent thing.
0: Yeah. There's numerous acoustic artists I'm going to see that have made mistakes, mm-hmm. and they're so experienced that they just laugh it off, and yeah. it becomes part of the act, yeah. and yeah. It, it actually warms the audience
1: up. Exactly. A bit. I think there's more. Yeah, the audience then realise they're dealing with a human being
0: but even having watched that and experienced it still doesn't make me feel comfortable when it happens to me, you know what I mean?
1: I think there's a sort of, when it happens to you, there's a kind of a panic sets in. Yeah, especially in, when you are got Internally, in, so in your head. You go, oh my God, you hit the Well, I, I mean, you've got, you've got all the sound gear to think of as well, but yeah. I, I, I think that when you start playing in front of people, your adrenaline is such that you play too fast. That's very common. Yeah, And, and you're almost wanting to get the tune ended. So that you can look back on it and think it wasn't too bad, <laughs> as opposed to enjoying the experience of it. Um, and one of the things I've, I've learnt to do myself, and it's still difficult sometimes, is, you know, before you play the first note, take a big deep breath and go slower than you intended to, and slower than you think you, you want to. Because you always, almost always speed up anyway in the course of a, a tune. Um, but playing slow gives you time to think in real time, ahead of what you're about to do, you can think, what's the next chord? What's the next lyric? You know, time to look at the audience instead of looking at the guitar. You know, you can kind of multitask mentally if you're going at a slow pace. If you're going at everything's breakneck speed, then there's no time for any of that. It's like running down a hill and you can't stop. And, uh, again, it's just one of those techniques, I suppose, that you learn yeah. from bad experience. <laughs> you learn that, you know, if you play too fast, you fall over. If you run too fast, you fall over eventually. Yeah. And also, it's not, uh, the audience don't want to be hurried. Do they? they want to be relaxed. They want to be enjoying themselves. So they want you to feel relaxed. They want you to be relaxed. They trust you. They trust you not to screw up your performance. And the best way of screwing up is to go too fast and be all tense, you know. Easy said than done. I'm saying this as if I do this all the time. I don't. I, I aspire to do it. You know, I try to do it because I know yeah. it's the right for me anyway. I wouldn't. No, I agree. Presume I agree. to lecture in us and I have to do it, but that—that that is how yeah. it feels to me anyway.
0: I've been having lessons from Brian Sutton. Yeah, when artist works. Brian's a phenomenal flat picker. Sure, but he's also a very good teacher. Right, that's one of the things he, he picked me up on. You he, he make videos. Yeah, send them in, and he critiques them, and it, it's it's quite a. Lengthy critique. You'll be having right. sort of twenty minutes on technique and style and everything. And the biggest thing he, he picks most people up on is, is tension. Yeah, you know, because particularly when you're playing bluegrass solos, oh yeah, you're gonna, you know, and yeah. as soon as you tense up,
1: what strikes me about seeing seeing the best bluegrass players is the way they hold the plectrum. Yeah, the hand looks like they're barely doing anything. They it's just, mm. move, it's yeah. just moving up and down very slowly. If I, I mean I can't play with a plectrum if I, I, tr- I try and hold it it goes ping you know <laughs> so that's, that's why I ended up playing fingerstyle but but I always watch their right hand and the economy of movement of the right hand is to me that's astonishing exactly. within yeah. the speed they can play and the notes they're playing the clarity of the notes and you just think well that's just like I suppose it's like anything else you don't you just absorb the finished product rather than looking at the technique that goes into mm. it you know and it, it, I think it applies to lots of things you're watching I, watching a Grand Prix or something, you're admiring the way they're going to the... Co- you're not thinking about, you know, when is he changing gear and how is he doing yeah. this? Oh, because it's just, to him, it's just... And I say him because it is almost always me. It's just, that's what they do. Mm. And so getting to the stage where, wh- when you play guitar or perform in front of people, that you move beyond just the physicality of doing it. It's natural. It's yeah. like... Driving a car, riding a bike, whatever—you've got to the stage where you don't have to process that at all. It's your lizard brain doing it for you. Yeah. you know? And then what you can be thinking about is, are the audience enjoying themselves? You know, what can I do to enhance this experience for them? And uh, and I think also, and I'm sure you've found this with your kids. A lot of the time, it's what you say between the tongues that makes the difference. Mm-hmm. That's how they know you're a real person, even if you bare your soul in your songs. That doesn't mean they know you. But when you tell the... Have, all the good performers I've ever seen always tell, not exactly jokes, but they say funny things. Even the most serious performance, performers will lighten it up with a witty comment or an anecdote or something. And and then it becomes like a shared... Like a conversation almost, yeah. where the music is part of it, but the relationship thing comes from the talking. Every time I go... I mean, it sounds like I'm analysing it all the time. I'm really not, but... It, Every time I go to a gig, like you say, you see people making mistakes, and I think, well, look at how they fic- how they got out of that. Yeah. They didn't make a fuss about it, or if they did, they made a joke out of it, so the audience warmed to them. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think it's it's about understanding that audiences want you to s- succeed. Mm. They're not allowed to have a bad time. One of the worst things in being an audience if someone on stage looks nervous and hesitant, and you think, oh, please don't make a mistake because it will be very embarrassing. You want them to relax.
0: Yeah, a friend of mine that played fiddle in the band told me once to stop apologising once. Oh, to yeah, sure. And I did. I it's don't do it's automatic
1: if, when you start, it is. isn't it? You make a mistake. And never say before you sing a single song, oh, I've only just written this, so I'm not sure I'll remember it. They don't want to know that, do no. they? No. <laughs> just be confident, even if, you play, if you're rubbish, just be confident. And... Um, if you play a wrong note, play it again and call it jazz. That's what they say, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I
0: was watching the Acoustic Roots documentary, which was about oh, yeah. Bert Jansch. That yeah. was the reason I bought a guitar. Oh, really? It was aired in 92, yeah. and it was all about Bert's journey, right up until he got to meet uh, Brownie McGee, who's right. a hero of his. Mm-hmm. One of Brownie's quotes was, when playing with Sonny Terry, he said that the two of them, they played together so well, and for such a long time that they knew where each was going. And yeah. he said, two wrongs make a right, as long as you make them at the same time. I thought, yeah. word.
1: Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Loved but it that. is, I mean, that's the other thing, you see. If you're playing to an audience of guitar players, they're probably gonna notice the mistakes more. But you're playing to a, a you know, what well, I mean, I've got the general audience who just like music. Especially if you're doing your own songs. They don't know what you're meant to do. <laughs> they don't know that you got a lyric wrong, do they? No. That's just you beating yourself up mentally yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's one of, of those... It, I don't know. It's such a complicated area, I think, performing, because it's it's a whole different thing from being able to play the guitar competently or to be able to sing competently. And I think, you know, I having been around guitarists for quite a long time now, I'm a decent guitarist I'm nothing like the best guitarist but I'm decent as a you know as hobbyists go I take it a bit more seriously than that but I'm decently decent guitarist I'm not a great vocalist I know that but they're my songs so what matters is how I deliver my songs mm-hmm. you know and when I first started writing people said I was singing in a very conversational sort of style that I was almost talking them and I think that was because I wasn't confident in my own voice and now I do sing more, but even so, I'm telling a story, and it's my story. So, uh, what matters is not technical perfection. It's about humanity. It's about getting that story across. Yeah. And then learning that the perform, the techniques of performance are how you actually do that. It's about communication. That is a whole different ball game from just being able to play the guitar or sing or write a song. It really is something completely different. And when there were some there were one or two people here who have been a bit nervous about performing, and I, you know I really sympathise. But the only advice I would ever give anyone asked for it was just do it, and then do it again, and then do it some more. And if, when you've done it and you're not happy, you can't wait to do it again, to do it better, then you're on the right track. If, when you've made a, you know, a botch up of something, you think I'd never want to do this again, well, maybe don't. You know, <laughs> if that's how you feel about it. But every time I do a less than good good in my head performance I always think bring on the next one and I'll make it better you know and that's how I know that, I, <laughs> that I'm on the right track I'm still I'm still learning you know it's a bit weird to be learning at my age but I am no it's not weird at all at people all. should learn all their lives shouldn't they
0: have you ever had a gig that made you think hmm. <coughs> I don't want to
1: like, oh, shall go I, through I stop that doing again, yeah. I, I, I don't honestly think I have no I mean I've I used to, when I started doing it, if I could, I would record it so I could hear myself. And oh. all I heard then was the mistakes. Yeah. I, I um, There's a video, I can't remember where it was now, but someone videoed me doing a performance. And I was conscious I'd made these mistakes. So I thought, I don't want to watch this video. But I made myself watch it. And you know what, I didn't even see the mistakes. Right. Really? Honestly, if I kind of zoned out and just had it on the background... I couldn't hear the mistakes. I heard them on stage because it was like, oh, "Damn, there's another one." <laughs> <laughs> but if I, as the person who made the mistake, can't hear them, no one else is going to hear them, are they? Mm. You get it's so you can be very self-conscious, I think, performing, and I just, you just have to get over yourself, basically. Yeah, 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 you know. I had one. that
0: was. It wasn't down to me really It was down to the wrong act for the the wrong night It was a fill-in gig yeah. that a band couldn't make And they asked me if I would fill in And it was a bunch of drunken people mm-hmm. That had just been to Millport for a line dancing afternoon So they had plastic guns and cowboy hats and all that on And they came back to the golf club Expecting this c- country band mm-hmm. And there's me up singing solo you know, minor key ballads. It's character <laughs> forming, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and uh, yeah, I got kind of put off for a while after that. You? you know, I've looked back at it now, and I see what it was. It wasn't me. It was you know.
1: Though when I made my CD, I, I read a, a quote from someone, and it, and it said, um, "I do the best work I can, and what people think of it isn't my business." I and could. and it. I mean, it's very difficult to take that approach. If you, you've made a CD or an album because you want people to hear it, and obviously you want them to like it. But why would everybody like it? You, you know, it may be the ones who say something are the ones who don't like it. Hmm. But you must find that after, after you do a gig, even, you know, you think it's a mediocre sort of gig, people come up to you and say, I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and the only thing you can possibly say to that is, thanks very much.
0: That's what I do. so Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And then you get the bizarre comparisons. Do you get this as well? People say, oh, you remind me of... Yeah. I've had some amazing ones. Johnny Cash. Do I, do I remind you of Johnny Cash? Not at all. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Leonard Cohen. Got, I mean, no, it's bizarre, isn't it? But people... I talked to, to someone about this, and they said, well... I think Jake Thacker is the one I get a lot of. I don't know if you remember Jake. Know. Well, you're too young. But... I mean, Jake Thackeray was very much of his time in the sort of 60s, 70s. He wrote um, humorous songs. He was on a television program where he, would, he, I think he would write a song of the week or something. you know. And, and if you listen to him now, I mean, they're off their time. You wouldn't play them. They're not politically correct, shall we say. Yeah. But because people kept comparing me to him, I bought a, a best-of CD. And I remembered him from TV. And I listened to it, and, and my goodness, the songwriting craft that went into those songs, the lyrical play was amazing. Yeah. So even if you have to overlook some of the less um, <laughs> <laughs> acceptable phrases you might use nowadays, um, I, I mean, they're not terrible, these things. They're, they're, uh, I wouldn't even say they're misogynistic, but they're typical of their time. You know, they are, um, as I say, the 60s. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't perform any of them, I don't think, but... Um, you can still hear the craft of what he was doing and admire that. But I still couldn't see why people were comparing me to him. And then someone said to me, well, you're a man playing the guitar, singing songs with sometimes, you know, hopefully witty lyrics. That's enough. That's their frame of reference. Who do I remember who plays the guitar and sings songs? Oh, yeah, Jake Thackeray. Yeah. It's okay. strange, isn't it? Because I don't... <laughs> <laughs> model myself on on anybody you know there are people who I admire and I think I'd love to be able to play like them and I like their songwriting but what you what you have to be is yourself you have to take all those influences in yeah. and meld them through your own experience into something that's just yours and when you do that you have to realise that if people don't like it that's fine it's not personal they don't dislike you and even if they did it wouldn't matter yeah. you know but it's it's important that it is just yours it belongs to you because there's a lot of tribute acts out there and I admire them for the skill of what they do but I don't want to be a tribute act you know I've I've got something I want to say if I would not sound too pretentious in terms of songwriting you know if I write a song it's got to have a point to it there's no point in it existing just to go la 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 you know there's got to be some point I don't mean heavy message but it it has to have a reason to exist Um, and then I have to Hope that it has some reason for something, you know, it, it says something to somebody else. And if it doesn't, then, um, maybe I'm playing to the wrong people.
0: And mm. would you keep doing it if nobody was listening?
1: Well, it's an interesting one because I, I teach a bit of, well, I don't say I teach, I, I've run a number of songwriting workshop type things, uh, songwriter circles, things like that. And one of the things I say is that, you can play guitar for your own enjoyment. You can sit in your bedroom or your living room, play through an intricate ragtime right piece or something, and at the end of it, you know, pleased with that, sounded great, really enjoyed doing it, tick. No one's heard it. I don't think that matters particularly. Certainly if you didn't write it yourself, if if you're just playing someone else's arrangement. Once you write a song, it may as well not exist if it doesn't get performed. Songs mm. are, des- are should be heard. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And so, when you write a song, you've got to go out and perform it. You, there's no choice. You know? So, I, if you're sort of living in your own in a dystopian post-Holocaust world and there's just you, there's no point in writing songs, is the way I You can still play the guitar and enjoy it, but songs are, are about communication.
0: What about therapy?
1: Um, interesting you say that. I had... Uh, I had a health issue a few years ago which um, could have been life-threatening. And it shook me up. And I've seen other people who have had these experiences since then. And I've recognized what it does to you. It it kind of throws you off balance. There's a shock to your body and there's a shock to your brain and there's a shock to your, I'll say, soul. Yeah. But there's there's something that's so... Existential about it, really? I could have died. You know, this is not like hypochondria This is—it's almost—it's almost prosaic yeah. to the doctors involved, but to you, it's absolutely. Sorry, hear the mic. It's absolutely. Um, I might—I might not have existed, and that—that that takes months to work through. I found it took about six months. In—in in sort of. Uh, tandem with the physical recovery was a, a mental and emotional recovery from it and I wrote a song and I didn't set out to write a song to to encompass my feelings or, to, or as therapy but undoubtedly writing that song was therapy, it's a song called Dancing Your Troubles Away which is on the CD and it's, it's a song that uses quite a lot of black humour and, and sort of death images <laughs> sounds like a barrel <laughs> of laughs doesn't it uh, but um it's uh, there are lines in that song that only I know the meaning of,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is a bit weird after what I said about communication, but that song has a purpose in playing it because I like it as a song, you know it's a nice, nice music, and I think the words have got some sort of value, but it has meaning for me that goes beyond that, so it's an interesting question you know would 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 I write for myself if no one was listening? Maybe sometimes I would. Um, Certainly guitar has been therapy for me, to go back to the point you were making. That's the only song I can think of that's done it. But it's a great comfort being able to pick your guitar up when everything else is going to hell and a handcart around you. Just to be able to sit and quietly express yourself, even to an empty room, Mm, you know, or to go... Even just the sort of... um, Forget the emotional side of it, or even the musical side of it. Just the the technical side of being able to execute a piece that you have learned and to do it accurately. Think of the number of finger movements and the, the incredible stuff that's going on in your nervous system when you're deciding what pressure to put on the strings and how to emphasise a particular note and how to control the speed and, and the way that you um, the way that you express things, the way you end a tune. Yeah, that's massively satisfying. If, and if you've had a terrible day with all sorts of awful stuff going on around you to retreat into that little world which was you and the guitar, that's therapeutic, definitely yeah yeah how about you? you've very much so i like don't
0: write I've actually well no let's let's go back a bit I've always said to myself, i don't write I've written tunes but not songs yeah. I've tried songwriting, never been satisfied with it until a good friend of mine died. Age of forty-three, just finished playing a gig, walked home from his gig and dropped dead on his way home, heart attack. And of course, it's a shock. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd known this guy f- from my, my teenage years when I was a skateboarder. And so I wrote a song, and it's actually not a bad song, I think. And it didn't take long to write at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow.
1: Well, is it a song about about your friend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's
0: about him. It's this title is Shaba, which is a I think he used to shout when he was really happy. Shabbat. And uh, I put it out. I put it on YouTube. Just for friends and family. And his his brother got in touch and said, would you mind if we played that at the funeral? Oh, and I was like, what? Seriously? Amazing, and, and they did. Yeah. And what a moment that was. Wow. To be standing in the funeral.
1: Well, you see, that's the thing that... That must have made you realise the impact that not just music but your music can have on people mm. and and I I mean I I wrote a song it's on my first cd uh, called this lullaby and it's a sort of it it's a gentle sort of song about mm. let's calm down mm. and you know forget the awful world outside and you know it's a love song basically and a a friend who um who plays harmonica who I've gig with sometimes um Said that that song inspired him to go on holiday. He hadn't had a holiday in 10 years. And while I was on holiday, to propose to his partner, oh. with whom he'd been for many years, and they got married. And whenever I do a gig with him, we always mention this you know, this is, this is the song that caused him to get married. We make jokes about it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I haven't written the divorce song yet. But um, you'd think, I can't believe that something I did. Not 100%, but he contributed to yeah. a life-changing experience for somebody. And the funeral thing, I guess, you know, the same sort of thing. I, that's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. You can do that. That's just yeah, really wonderful.
0: Yeah. So yeah. I do perform that now. When yeah. I'm, if I'm playing to an audience where some people were there that knew him, you know, yeah. i usually play it. Well, last
1: night I played that song um, Upon the Earth, which, because Keith, who, who's one of the head honchos of the acoustics handboard as you know has just become a grandad and uh, again I didn't write that song for any specific purpose but when I wrote it my wife said it would be a really good song to play at a christening okay Um, like to welcome the baby so I played it for Keith uh, last night and um, he seemed quite touched by it and you just think well again I didn't you you could sit down and say well I'm going to write ten songs that could be played at weddings or christenings or funerals or wouldn't work would it it's got to come from from there yeah yeah, but it's great to think that something that started as a as a hobby which it did for me you know guitar Mm. everyone wanted to play guitar when I was 15 because that was just the thing that you did but it started as a hobby and it it remained a hobby for for decades literally decades with me that it can lead to something that is pretty profound it's it's amazing really isn't it aren't we lucky
0: it's a privilege it is yeah yeah, yeah. well done you <laughs> well you, done Roger. me <laughs> well thanks for sitting down and
1: oh, welcome, it's been a really I nice, nice conversation it.
0: yeah. it's always great to see you again and, uh, it's only once, once a year isn't, it, isn't it, it normally that's the trouble yeah Shame assume you're not going to Ellipol we could uh, oh, see wish. each other next I week I
1: wish I know uh, yeah have a great but time really say hello to Roger Buckmo for me I will. <laughs> I will
0: hopefully I won't come home with a failed, but you never know
1: oh well
0: that was the standout guitar I think from you last year was, was your file that you had right. here
1: yeah well I've got another one on order and um, seeing the guitars he's taking to Whirlpool has got me thinking we'd, we'd, we'd agree I'd agreed with him what uh, what it was going to be and he's got a waiting list of up to two years at the minute so you have to mm. just be prepared to wait but the trouble with I enjoy that anticipation but the, the trouble is after a while you start thinking hmm perhaps I should have said so had a different specification for such a thing. And then he, he sends this newsletter out with these incredible looking tiles and I've suddenly decided I want something completely different to what I thought I wanted. <laughs> um, I'll have to get you to try, try the one I'm thinking I might try now. Yeah, I'll let you know. Emulate. Yeah, please yeah. do. Take some photos. Oh, well. <laughs> Richard, thank you. Thank you, Gams. Great to see you
0: as always. Cheers. Thanks a lot.